Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by 1500 ESPN's Judd Zolgat of the Mackie and Judd Morning Show. Today, we're going to pick up in a scab that uh, is just fresh. The Vikings lose 10-9 to the Seattle Seahawks. They had the right formula. They had the game in their hands. A 27-yard field goal missed. We'll look at and dig into kind of what happened with this game. Adrian Peterson obviously coughs up another costly fumble in the playoffs. We'll spin him forward. And then we'll get to Mike Zimmer's defense, the reason they were at this point to begin with and the reason why they held the Seattle Seahawks to 10 points overall in that 10-9 to loss. They seem to be set for the future. Judd, first off, though, you saw Blair Walsh push a 27-yard attempt wide left. We saw Blair Walsh after the game. He's obviously despondent about that. Teammates wanted to deflect some of the blame that was headed to him, but he took it all on his shoulders. Mike Zimmer said it after the game. you got to make that kick. Yep. What was your first reaction when you saw that fly wide left? Um, let's see. I've covered the Vikings since on a regular basis since 2005. I followed them since I was 8 years old in 1978. I would say, yeah. Seen this before, not really surprised. I'm dead serious, too. I mean, think about this. 2009, uh, with, a, with a much better team than this and a team that was expected to achieve much more because the shelf life of 2009, unlike this team, was, was so short at the time. You've got a team that, I looked it up again today, outgained the Saints by 200 yards or something like that, and they lost that game because of turnovers. 98, I was there in the Dome when, the, uh, when it, Gary Anderson missed the kick and the Falcons came back and won. And so, uh, so you had a here so we go again. Once, you know of. what? You know what, though? Really, the, the Walsh miss to me was set up by the Peterson fumble and lost there. I mean, when Peterson, when Adrian lost that ball on the eight-yard pass play, I said to myself, this is all too familiar. And any confidence that you have when the Vikings are driving down the field, which they did a very good job of, and they were going to win that game, has to be tempered with there's a good chance with this organization, for whatever reason, something is going to go wrong. Mike Zimmer's done a very good job of changing the culture in that locker room and I think the feel of this team. But this is a franchise history, Andrew, that dates way, way back. And you can go through the litany of heartbreaking playoff losses, 75 Dallas, 87 uh, Nelson can't catch the ball in the end zone against Washington. You lose that game. 98 Atlanta, uh, 2009, 
the Saints. The only difference, the only difference here, and the thing to feel good about is the 2015 Vikings probably overachieved, and there's a lot left here. You feel like they're building something, but am I shocked by that loss? Absolutely not. See, you've got the historical perspective that somebody like me does not have. You feel like it was the ghost of Vikings past that kind of shoved that ball. It's the Cubs. It's it's the for all for all Cubs fans whine and moan about their lack of luck and and uh, the black cat in '69 at Shea or the Billy Goat, all of that stuff. um, You look at the Vikings, and there's defining moments to this team. And as far as playoff defeats go, as I said, though the one thing about this is. You at least walked away from the stadium today saying the future does look bright. This was not a one-and-done type of franchise deal. Now, there might be players who are gone, but as far as what they're building with their head coach, I think the one thing to feel good about is 2016 should be good. Yeah, there was obviously a lot of bitterness in that Vikings locker room after a loss like this where, like we said, they lose by one point. They had the game in hand. Really, it should have been a 12-10 to 10 victory for this team if they clear the uprights there with 26 seconds to go. The only reason they're at that point is because Blair Walsh made three field goals throughout the game from 46 yards. I know one of them was, I think another one was from 47 yards in a temperature that was the coldest Viking home game in franchise history, meaning he's kicking a rock, but most of those, I think all of the kicks that he made were on the close end of the stadium, correct? That's where Hoshka made his as well. Yes, Yes. you're right. So, And the Seahawks elected not to kick a 46-yarder toward the open end, which is where Blair Walsh pushes the 27-yarder wide left. Mm -hmm. Now, Blair Walsh didn't have an exact reason for why he missed it, but the winds were blowing fairly strongly into that end. Uh, Jeff Locke took the holder, took some blame on himself, saying he didn't put the laces out all the way. I think you can go down the list of it, but that kick never had a shot. That kick kick sailed wide left completely, wasn't even close. Mm -hmm. And that was something where you look at it and go, that was a shank. And it was unfortunate for an 11-win team that put themselves in position to beat the reigning NFC champion Seattle Seahawks. Because let's face it, in my opinion, the Vikings were the better defensive team today. They were the better offensive team up until... Blair Walsh missed that kick. I put. Uh, I said last week. There's three. If the Vikings are going to have a chance to win this game, three things have to happen. Two of them. Did, two of them did. Defense, which was uh, atrocious against the Seahawks the first time around, but didn't have Joseph for the entire game and Barr and Smith for a large portion of that game, has to play well. The defense played a fantastic game. Lights today. out. Yep. They came up with a good game plan. They had all their key players. They were fantastic. Thing number two. Bridgewater can't be as feeble as he was against the Seahawks or a week ago in Green Bay. Bridgewater doesn't have to be great, but he has to be good. I thought today he was very he was he was pedestrian at times, but he also completed some passes. He was not awful. He did in not that cost last them that drive. Game. He finds Kyle Rudolph. Yes. He helps draw the pass so interference. Then he hits him on the twenty four. So he didn't yep. he didn't come close to winning the game for you, but he also didn't play brutal and didn't kill you. You put him in position to and win. Thing number yeah. three: Adrian Peterson has to have a huge day. You have to give him the ball. I mean, this is a guy who, and he's right. He was ticked off after the first Seattle game, eight carries for 18 yards. That's ridiculous. If you did all that the Vikings did to keep him, you don't give him eight carries. And I believe in that game they got down by 14 points and just said, okay, let's pass. That was a dumb game plan. So Peterson said, I need the ball more. They gave it to him way more today. He had an incredibly pedestrian day running the ball, and on his second of two catches, lost the ball. So right there, those are the three things that I thought had to happen, all had to happen. Two of the three did, and they lost. Yeah, before we pivot into that with Adrian Peterson and talk about his season and going forward with him, keep in mind, too, with Blair Walsh, I think a lot of people want to uh, have knee-jerk reactions about that. Cut him, get rid of him, all these things. He had a terrible preseason. He redeemed himself in the regular season. Obviously, he ends the season in a terrible fashion. 
but he set the Vikings record, I believe, for field goals made in a regular season. He was one of the most efficient kickers in the regular season, and he converted game winners against Chicago and St. Louis earlier. He's still going to be the Vikings kicker, regardless of how people feel about him after today. Adrian Peterson, will he be the Vikings running back going forward? Judd, I think he absolutely will be. You don't go everything you did. You don't go through everything as a franchise as they did in the offseason to keep him. He led the NFL in rushing in 2015, and even though he sputtered toward the end of the year, I believe he only had one 100-yard game at least in the last six games, and that was against Chicago. That's correct, yes. Even though he only had that, even though he didn't look as effective as normal, I think this team needs to grow with him. I believe he'll be a part of it. It's just interesting to see how this team has pivoted, at least toward the end of the season, and using Jarek McKinnon more as a complimentary back, yes. and especially how his fumble problems have come back to roost. Uh, Peterson's definitely back, in my opinion. Let me throw this question, though, back at you as a guy that, that covered this team on an everyday basis. Adrian Peterson, there's no question, in 2015 was outstanding at times. He won them some games. The Vikings do not get... Uh, to their victory total without him probably. All of that being said, as someone who's around this team all the time, Kramer, do you believe that the best course of action is to bring him back based on this? You could make a very coherent argument that Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback, a more comfortable uh, QB, I should say, with, with McKinnon, based on the fact that he can operate more out of shotgun and do things that way. Uh, you also could say this. Adrian Peterson is a fantastic player in the regular season. Well, Adrian Peterson, if you truly want to get over the hump and be a Super Bowl-type team, Adrian Peterson's past in the postseason doesn't necessarily show you that, that he can get you there. Do you believe that Adrian Peterson should be brought back based on those two factors? Based on the about Bridgewater and the playoffs? Yes, those ba- two? based on those two factors, which are key factors. Because, because keep in mind, too, the Vikings are going up a hill, and the window, in my opinion, is open right now. But in this league, the window is open for... A very small time and then you start to get guys retiring and and aging so based on those factors let's just say for a second that we think 2016 is a vital year for this franchise and a year that this team could make an extended playoff run is he the best thing to bring back I think yes, and we should preface this conversation, too, beforehand by saying that the Vikings can get rid of him before the third day of the league year for absolutely nothing. It will cost them nothing to get rid of him. That's why we're having this conversation. He's not locked in until the third day of the league year, which is, I think, around March 10th, if I'm That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. So they got a couple months to kind of think this through. But Adrian Peterson is still the best running back in the NFL. He showed that, and even though... He ended the season the way he did here with that loss. I I still believe that he is going to remain on this team, and I think Teddy Bridgewater needs to grow. We saw some growing pains with Teddy Bridgewater, and he needs to be able to function in an under-center offense regardless if Adrian Peterson's there or not. That's just something an NFL quarterback has to do. And so I think you saw some lumps there, and I think you also saw some lumps taken with Adrian Peterson returning from a year off. The four lost fumbles were his most in a single season since 2009. Hey, this is Andrew Kramer with the Purple Podcast. I just want to thank you guys for checking us out every week. And if you like the podcast, please go check us out on iTunes. Leave a review. Four or five stars would be appreciated. But if you don't like Derek Wetmore's hot football takes or you think Judd Zolgad's a little too negative, you can go ahead and give us a one-star rating if you feel so inclined. But those reviews are going to help us spread the word of the Purple Podcast, the best Minnesota Vikings analysis in town. Now, back to the podcast. 
And you didn't, you didn't see that as much of a problem in the years after that. He'd only lost six fumbles in the four years after that. I'm not saying he's going to be a great pass catcher or a great pass blocker. Those are things he just, he, that's, he's never been good at. Right. But he's still one of the best running backs in the NFL, and I think he will necessitate, he should necessitate Bridgewater's growth under center. And I'm, I'm almost wanting to see more of a step forward from Bridgewater as opposed to Peterson heading into the next year as an under center quarterback. There are too many times they had the one-on-one matchups that Peterson draws and that you need that Bridgewater did not take advantage of this season. You want to see him take advantage of those, and I think when he does, you'll see the full potential of this offense. I still think Adrian Peterson's their running back. I think they found a special way to use Jarek McKinnon toward the end of the season that they should use right away starting next year, and there are not going to be any growing pains. There shouldn't be next year like they had at the beginning of this year where they're they're running Adrian out of the shotgun. They're doing these things he's not comfortable with. Sure. The offense, if he's here, needs to be run through him, and Teddy Bridgewater needs to grow alongside that. And the offensive line. Oh, and not to, to mention right. that the offensive because line that's the one can only everyone, get better in my it's so when, when it comes to talking about skill position guys, Kramer, it's so easy to get stuck on the running back did this or, or the, you know, Bridgewater did that. And the one thing that it's easy to lose sight of is the fact that that offensive line, while I think they should be commended because it was certainly not, not an ideal uh, situation for them necessarily. Today, I thought they did injuries. great. I thought they did great today. But that yeah, being yep. said, the offensive line—I mean, uh, that was—that was what basically two guys gone f- for the entire season. That two starters, starters before the first kickoff. Yeah, and so yep. so I do think that when we uh, talk about Peterson and what he can do, and especially the quarterback and what he can do as far as protection and seven-step drops and all that, one key factor. It's not sexy to talk about, but one key factor that you have to come back to a lot is offensive line play and protection there. And we saw, though, what this offense was like without Adrian Peterson, and I was Bridgewater's rookie season. He had 12 starts. Obviously, there's a lot of caveats to saying this, but we saw what that rushing attack was like. They did get 1,100 yards out of a combo of Jarek McKinnon and Matt Asiata. But I don't believe, and I don't think the Vikings believe, that that would be a combo for the future that they could thrive on and take this offense to where it would be with Adrian Peterson. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to jump on Peterson and say, well, look at the playoff fumbles. Look at him fumbling it away in big spots. I don't have an answer for that. But I think that when you look at what this team has been able to do, he was a main reason why they won 11 games and are at this point. I agree with that. And I think without him, they're they're not hosting a playoff game. It's just, I, I guess, if I'm the Vikings, my one frustration is is this is a guy who had fumble problems, uh, especially early in his career throughout about, what, 2009, as you yeah, said. Absolutely. And I want to say around 2010 or so. He had 13 lost fumbles they, between 08 and 09. Yeah, so they started to clean that up. And then the one, th- the one thing that you can't afford is ball security problems. And Peterson, too, it's interesting because the real context of the conversation, I think, about him going forward should never be that he is a, a great back because he's not a great all-around player by any means. He is just a great runner. I mean, that's what he is. So, so these conversations, you know, you, you can never compare him to the greats who could do lots of things because he can't pass protect to this day. I mean, they've, they've, every coaching staff that's come here has tried to will him to be used on third down, and eventually they start to give up on that. Uh, he can't. He can catch, but not that not well. And so the one thing about him is he is a phenomenal runner with the football. And the one thing that you can't afford uh, then, if you're willing to sacrifice the things he can't do, the, but the one thing that he really can't do, 
is fumble. And so for that to come back is a big deal. And I'm sorry, but if I'm, I'm the organization this offseason, that's a concern for me because you can't have – you can't go into 2016 with big expectations and then have your most important player sabotage that. Well, I think let's keep this in context as well. The ball was punched out by Cam Chancellor, mm-hmm. who could punch the ball out of anybody's hands. And I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I'm not trying to cover for Adrian Peterson's fumble issues because there's clearly a problem here, and it's been that way his entire year. Right. Do you think it's just going to go away, though, after one no, offseason? That, I don't concern, at all. But that's my concern about but you, this. But you almost saw the reaction with the Vikings, at least at the end of this game, where they pull him off for an entire series. Yep. They gave an entire series after that fumble when they were trailing 10-9. to It wasn't the last series. It was the second-to-last series. Right. You saw them put Jarek McKinnon on the field for the entire thing with Adrian on the sideline wearing a coat. That's the kind of reaction, I think. And then all of a sudden, when they needed to drive down for a field goal, they put him back on there at the last, last time, and, and he, I think, only took a couple carries, if any, on that last drive. He did have a couple, yeah. And so because of that, I, I think they see that as well. They recognize that. The reason why I think he's going to be here is because they're going to find a way, well, not only because they went through everything to keep him and what he means to this team, but also because I think they're finding ways to use him with the pieces that are around him. Instead of just saying, okay, everyone fit with Adrian, it's okay, how can we compromise here? And they're compromising with Teddy Bridgewater. They're compromising with having Jarek McKinnon in, on the field in these passing situations. Sure. They even had Jarek and Adrian on the field at the same time a Which couple times this year. I would do that more often next year. You just leave zero pass protectors. Well, yeah. That. But when you look at this, though, there are situations that can have personnel sets where that's not the case, and they can still have them both on the field. I think they learned a lot about how they can use Adrian in this offense this year, and I'm interested to see how that spins going forward. But you and I both believe mm-hmm. he'll be back next year. Yes, right? I definitely do. I I think the interesting factor is this. If Bridgewater develops, uh, Peterson becomes can become uh, vital to making Bridgewater look good. In a game like today's loss, I do believe that Peterson's presence on the field draws attention, which is good for the quarterback. Absolutely. The next step, though, is Bridgewater and Peterson have to continually find a way to work together successfully. Because I really think... Much of the story of 2015, not the entire year and not all games, but a lot of it was you either felt like they were doing the Teddy offense or the Peterson offense, and only towards the end did it start to come together. But you never, ever felt that it was truly, truly, completely in sync. And in 2016, if you're this team, I would think that your biggest goal would be to get these two guys completely in sync because that's where your offense could become successfully or or consistently successful. And it's tough for me to sit here and try to write a review necessarily of the entire 2015 offense when knowing this was Teddy's first year with Adrian Peterson, this was Norv's first year with Adrian in the offense for a full season, and this was a year in which the offensive line was completely banged up and tattered throughout the entire thing. I talked to Brandon Fusco after the game, and he's a guy who really disappointed some people because of how he played. He, he moved over to the left side to guard because a lot, of, a lot of people and the coaches thought that will help Matt Khalil kind of reach his potential. That won't give him an excuse of poor guard play to his right, and that's something that's going to shore them up. Well, Brandon allowed some of the highest pressure rates of anybody along that offensive line, counting rookie T.J. Clemmings at right tackle. Mm-hmm. He said he felt like he was set back because of that offseason surgery to fix a torn pec. He wasn't in the weight room as much. He felt weak for some of the year, and he, and he feels like he's going to be able to come back stronger. Now, if they get then two pieces back in center John Sullivan, and even if they don't, Joe Berger has shown he's capable of filling that role. 
namely Phil Lodeholt coming back at right tackle. Those are the pieces that I want to see return to actually realize what this offense can be because without those pieces on the offensive line, they had to manage, as Mike Zimmer has said, they had to manage on offense as opposed to be explosive and kind of uh, assert their will on other teams. So to me, it's tough for me to actually judge this offense right now, but I think Peterson's very much going to be a part of it moving forward. Uh, it's just, like you said, Judd, can they mend the two now? And, and to me, I it's more about Bridgewater. To me, it's more about sure. seeing Bridgewater step up and take some of those shots and hit some of those passes that he needed Pe- to hit. Peterson's not going to change. Uh, yeah, Peterson exactly. is. Exactly. I mean, he's a, he is a fantastic rusher, but there's not, you're not going to add to his game. The only thing that you might, that you might be able to work on is ball security, right? I mean, that's the one thing. Cause, but, that's, but you're not going to make him a great pass catcher. It's not going to happen, and he's not going to become great in pass protection. So you're right. If anybody's going to take a step to come to the other player side, it would be Bridgewater going to Peterson's side. Absolutely. Let's shift now and talk about the Vikings' defense. They finished fifth in the 2015 year in points. That's the highest that they've ranked in the NFL since 1988. Mm-hmm. This this team under Mike Zimmer has taken the mentality he wanted, especially on defense with all the investments they made, not only during free agency, but with, I believe it was 13, uh, 10, excuse me, 10 of the first 13 draft picks under Mike Zimmer went toward defense. They invested heavily in it, turning around one of the NFL's worst groups in 2013 into a group that held the Seahawks offense to just 10 points on Sunday. Now, to me, this defense is set up to be one of the best in the NFL for the long haul. I think they've got the coaches. I think they've got the players now. They've got a few holes to fill. But, Judd, I was really impressed with what I saw from that defense today. They corralled Russell Wilson, and really it was two plays that it came down to. It was the broken play for the 35-yarder where it was a botch snap. Russell Wilson runs yep. 15 yards behind him to pick up this ball. He almost has a knee down when he's holding the ball, and the, the Vikings rushers, there was like five of them there. They almost like pause thinking that he's down, mm-hmm. and then he gets up and runs away and finds a uh, curse for that 35-yarder. That play, and then obviously the uh, ensuing touchdown, the three-yarder to Baldwin with Josh Robinson in coverage, those were the two plays that really broke down and, and led the Seahawks back into that game. Outside of that, I thought they did an excellent job on Russell Wilson, and it was really, to my, in my opinion, it was a testament to the game plan with Mike Zimmer changing what they did from that 38-7 to loss a month ago, getting Harrison Smith, getting Anthony Barr, getting Linval Joseph back, no, they didn't have Marshawn Lynch or Thomas Rawls, but they were able to really shut down one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that shows that this team, like what they did a week ago in Lambeau, can contend with the best, and it's because of their defense. If Zimmer's got his best players, his game plans are good enough to win almost all games. They might not, um, but, I mean, what we saw today, too, is, and we just didn't see uh, Joseph Barr and Smith return for this game after uh, not playing in the first game against them. What we also saw, I thought, was this. We saw a different game plan, which you knew that you would. You knew he was going to tweak things. He would. Zimmer could have sat there and said, hey, I, I was missing these three guys for, for most of that game, and now I got them back and we'll be fine. But he didn't do that. I mean, we saw what? Barr, uh, Barr was uh, spying the quarterback at times in Wilson. Definitely was doing that. They took a lot wider rush angles I was say, with the wide, defensive wider line. Rush, yeah. Yep. He basically said, okay, I got three key components back, but we were so bad in that game that I'm going I'm to tweak things as well. And that's the thing that I like about this coaching staff, especially especially on defense. They are not only really good at what they do, they're not afraid to change what they do at times. I mean, you see, how many teams do you see have a certain mindset or certain offense or defense, and they're wed to it? That's what they do. And it can work. It can work for a while. But what happens in this league, everybody always adjusts. And eventually, after enough adjustments, 
it starts to catch up to you. What the Vikings did today, I thought, was they, pre- they presented Seattle with the, their defense at its best, but they also said, and here's about three or four tweaks. And the Seahawks, who had, by the way, no interest in being in that stadium, and I don't blame them, six below at kickoff, right? I mean, Wilson looked miserable, but I also thought the Vikings did a very good job game plan-wise of, of making life as difficult as possible on him as well. Yeah, actually, I was talking to uh, one team employee who, who was there when the Seahawks bus rolled up and started filling into the locker rooms. And he, and at least his opinion was you could just tell when they were getting off the bus that they had no interest in being at that stadium, that they were there for – they just wanted to get out as quickly as possible. And I think that showed at least a little bit in, in how the offense played with Seattle. I mean, I was surprised. Russell Wilson, some of those passes – you see him how good he was throwing the deep ball. I wonder how much the cold had an impact on his ability to get that ball downfield. One play comes to mind where he had, I think it was Doug Baldwin, wide open in the corner, yep. and a ball just kind of floated on him near the windy spot of the field. And the safety broke a play up. Yeah, and Harrison and, almost had an interception, I believe. If it's nice outside, not only can the safeties not catch up to that time, that playing time, but that pass would have led Baldwin who would have almost certainly caught it. So, yeah. That, in, yeah, in the end zone. Yeah. That weather played a definite role in, in keeping those teams, uh, in, in keeping the offenses slow down a little bit. Yeah, but you're right, Joe. There was definite adjustments, and that kind of goes to what I was talking about with the coaching staff, and that they've got the coaches there. When you go back and look at it, just look at the times, of, at least this season, when they've played a team twice. Second time they played Detroit, they fell down 14-3 to early, pivoted what they were doing, blew out Detroit. Uh, second time they faced Chicago, blew them out completely. Second time they faced Green Bay, won in Lambeau Field. This is the second time they faced Seattle, and they should have won this game. So that just goes to tell me that, and especially some of those first losses, the first one to Green Bay, the first one to Seattle, were complete blowout losses by the Vikings. They've clearly shown an ability to adjust on defense at least, and on offense, in my opinion, when you look at what they did from that Seattle game five days later into Arizona, where Teddy Bridgewater throws for 330 yards, they get McKinnon involved, you can tell there were adjustments being made on offense. Maybe it took a little longer than people would have liked but five days but the adjustments were being made exactly the adjustment well i meant throughout the season took a little bit longer but the adjustments were made you could tell so the coaching is there in my opinion i don't think they need to make any kind of changes i think a lot of people will call for norv turner's head uh but i don't i don't think that's the case and i don't think that's what they need that's way premature i don't think they need any coaching changes i think they need to keep the core that they have right now and that's a situation too we're moving forward. The core that they have on defense, I think, will make them, and we talked about this on the NFC North title podcast, this core will keep them in contention as perennial uh, p- potential perennial playoff team. Norv loves his style, and I get that. And uh, having Bridgewater in seven-step drops throughout the season so much was slightly confusing. But when you couple together the offensive line being that banged up, a second-year QB who's trying to adjust to to having an a Pro Bowl, All-Pro running back, and Peterson back with him, and then Peterson being back, to attempt to pass full judgment on Turner, I think is way premature, way premature. Now, now, do you look for things to evolve in 2016 offensively? Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about it that has earlier. To. Yep. It has to. Yep. But that being said, I think what you also need now, because you know, keep in mind, too, I think if you were to give the Vikings offensive staff truth serum, what they would tell you is this. We went into training camp not really – we knew what we wanted to do, but we didn't know how it would look or nor, execute. Nor had they didn't. really put Adrian in there no, until San I mean, Fran. But, I mean, from oh, it was clear, and, heck, it, it's almost a testament in some ways to the progress that they eventually made. It was clear on opening night in San Francisco, as bad as the Vikings played in that game and as dog of a game as that was – it was clear offensively there was no identity whatsoever. 
I mean, think about that. Go back to that. Bridgewater is basically... Well, no, they had an identity. It was just the wrong one. Well, it right. was a spread three wide, let's right, run Adrian out of the that's shotgun. That's not an identity for a, a... That's not an identity that you give an offense that worked that hard to get Peterson back in it. So the identity was all wrong. I think it showed a hubris on we can fit Adrian into this offense. But I mean, then, yeah, but yes. that's, that was a mistake, yeah, and it yeah. took them a lot of time then to yeah. come back. And it wasn't... I don't think by the end it was that they were being stubborn. I think they honestly didn't realize that Peterson is great of player as he can be, I really don't think the Vikings understood that he was uh, he was a piece to the puzzle that for a long time really didn't fit. So either it was going to be the overwhelming piece, which he was at times. He was fantastic mm-hmm. at times. But think about the early season games when he was at, at his best. Bridgewater was sort of a bit player. I mean, Bridgewater was under center, and he was there to hand Adrian the ball. And so I really think what you have now is you at least should have an offensive coaching staff that has a much better idea of how to approach things. Now, before we go, Judd, I didn't prep you for this beforehand, so I'm going to kind of get you on the fly. This but be it. We, got one th- we got one thing that the Vikings got to do in the 2016 offseason. I'll tell you mine before I ask yours. Uh, but the Vikings <laughs> Very are... personal, okay. The Vikings, I didn't say show, I said Oh, tell. okay, I'm sorry. The Vikings are going to have a lot of free agent decisions to make. Terrence Newman's a free agent. Chad Greenway's a free agent. Those veterans, you got to wonder, okay, is it the end of the line for them? Are they going to bring him back for one last hurrah? Chad Greenway said after the game today, he just wrapped his 10th year. His contract expires in March. He said, I got enough football left in me for one more. Okay. Uh, maybe that was just talk on losing a, a first-round playoff game, or maybe he actually does. Uh, those emotions are obviously going to uh, change day-to-day for somebody like that. But he sounded pretty resolute on wanting to come back. So, Talking about what they need to do with the other young guys that they've got. Their entire 2012 draft class, say for Jarius Wright and Blair Walsh, I believe are free agents, including Rhett Ellison. Uh, they got a big decision to make with a guy, even like a rookie like Cordero Patterson, who is entering the last year of his deal. He's not a free agent yet, but what is he going to give you? Uh, I think we kind of learned it's just kickoffs, at least at this point of his career. Kickoff returns. If you're lucky. Charles Johnson, what are they going to do with him? There's a lot of question marks on this team right now, I think, heading into this off season. I think the biggest thing, though, is going to be shoring up that offensive line. If, if I have a to-do list, the number one thing is going to be getting young players in there, starters in there on that offensive line. You don't know what John Sullivan's going to be like coming off multiple back surgeries at age 30. You don't know necessarily what Phil Lodeholt's going to be like entering the final year of his deal. Now, he is by far, or was, the Vikings' best run blocker but I don't at right tackle. But I don't think there's any way but on, he's entering, on God's green earth that, that you bring him back on that contract. And I believe it's going to be something. I believe it's going to be something like six six million or over six million uh, on his last year of his deal. All right, but he's also coming off multiple season-ending surgeries in as many years. Okay. I don't know what they have left in Joe Berger, who is a career 33-year-old backup who gave you everything he had this year in 16, 17 starts and played very, very well for for what you were expecting out of him. Sure. You don't necessarily know either with Matt Khalil. So to me, I think it's going to be invest, invest, invest in this offensive line, not only in free agency. They're not splurgers. I don't expect them to do that. But finding guys that can come in here and be solid backups and be starters eventually for you. I don't know if TJ Clemmings is your long-term answer. Did he show you enough to be your long-term answer at right tackle? I don't think so. And so because of that, you've got maybe what? Two positions completely open? I think Mike Harris deserves... Clemmings a tra- Mike, tra- Mike Harris, or did you develop him, though? Well, here's the thing. Mike Harris, I should say first, the right guard who was your swing tackle last year, now right guard, has shown I think he deserves an extension and to be your right guard going forward or maybe even your right tackle if you want to kick him back out there. T.J. Clemmings, you just tried to develop him for 17 starts. And in the NFL, I'm not saying that he can't get better. I think he will. 
But are you going to continue to go through that, or are you going to put him in the backseat as a swing tackle, which he should have been this year, and that was their plan all along, mm-hmm. and then get somebody else in there, like Phil Lodehold on, on one more year of a reduced deal? I think they have a lot of questions to fill on that offensive line, and we talked about it. That is a linchpin here for what this offense needs to do, or for any offense. I've told you this before, but uh, one thought that I had was, what about Harris gets an extension and goes to right tackle? Because Lodeholt you will bring back if he will restructure his contract, I think. But that contract is, uh, I think, fairly large right now. So if let's say he doesn't want to come back, what about Harris to right tackle? Fusco back to right guard. Uh, you don't move Fusco back. You don't? No. See, that's the one thing. I don't think you do. It, so, it was enough of a headache to move him over, and he's just getting so used to so it. So you're not convinced that that – so you think that this I think will if work you did, in year two at left guard? I think if you okay. did move Harris over, you find a new right guard. Okay. You don't, you don't move Fusco I was just going to say, was Fusco's, were Fusco's problems really brought on by the fact that he couldn't work out enough last offseason because of the surgery? Way in the move. Or were the they brought too. on – right, because that's a tough move. Yep. Uh, let me th- throw something new at you. I have not brought this one up before, but I will now. The secondary. Secondary could become very good. It's already, it's, I mean, you, Harrison Smith and Rhodes for, for the problems that he's had, I think he still has a bright future. Trey Waynes got in the game today. Newman, I think, what, tweaked his ankle. And uh, Trey Waynes got in the game today and had a pretty heads-up pick. You know, you look at the contributions from the 2015 draft class right now, Kramer, and they're substantial. One of the guys, the, the marquee name, though, that didn't contribute a lot, at least on defense, is Trey Waynes. What about a potential 2015 secondary of Trey Waynes becomes a starter, which I think he should. And, and I think Zimmer, there's a lot of people now saying that the guy the Chiefs drafted is better and the Vikings made a mistake. I don't think Mike Zimmer takes a guy at corner unless he has ultimate faith that that guy could develop into a player and don't get me wrong they have, or don't get, they have personality profiles too for yeah. guys they need they want a certain type of guy in the building but i don't think zimmer would take a cornerback that he's sort of lukewarm on just for the sake it's, of as it. far a player yes. yeah so i think he right. likes trey waynes yep trey waynes and xavier Rhodes are your starting cornerbacks in 2016 how about this one for one more year you're starting safeties if you don't get a safety and now, now priority one is if you can get one early in the draft and develop him into a starter that's great but let's say you can't your safeties are Harrison Smith and Terrence Newman for one year. Terrence Newman brings a lot to this defense. Everything I've seen around, uh, everything I've seen from him around the team is positive. He definitely was a nice player for them. He's played the position before, and, but I do not want him blocking Waynes from starting at cornerback. That's interesting. That, that's really. Interesting. I mean, it might be totally wrong, but I'm just saying as far as well, tweets, you saw it. You saw it happen with Charles Woodson. Yes, you did. Yeah, his last year in Green Bay, he moved over to safety, and he's played ever since there in, in uh, Oakland before his career ended this year. I think it's possible. Um, I, I, I think that's interesting, though, because Mike Zimmer's safeties play hybrid roles. They're not like Seattle. We saw Seattle today. Seattle does a – Earl Thomas is the free safety guy in the back, and then Cam Chance was your box safety in between the numbers. They mm-hmm. have distinct roles. I think it would change almost like a scheme, or it would almost change the scheme a little bit to have Terrence Newman back there because he's not a fast, rangy guy. He's smart. He's always going to be in the right place, and he'll always play with impeccable technique. But will he be fast enough to play what they need at safety? That's the big question mark. And they sure they could and adjust what they do because Mike Zimmer's really good at adjusting to his players, and that's very possible. Uh, that's that's Just interesting. That's interesting. Uh, but it keeps it keeps Zimmer. It keeps a guy that Zimmer really likes around. But it doesn't block the guy because the one thing that they don't want to do 
is impede Waynes' progress. And I, I think we talked in the offseason. We both thought that Waynes would probably be starting about, what, seven, eight games in? Yeah, but we, I don't think any of us thought they'd be seven and two halfway through well, the true, year. Well, true, but I mean, yeah, but my yeah. point is it didn't happen. Yes. You don't want, if you think that Waynes, de- Waynes has developed enough this year in practice and then goes through the offseason camp. Oh, no, he'll be a starter. I don't, yeah, I don't think he's he won't be. He's the guy that you want to start. Yes. So yes. If, you want, if you want Terrence around and you don't want to bring him back as a backup cornerback, which means he would barely play, Safety would be would be one alternative, and if they don't upgrade at safety a lot, you know, Anderson Deho, you could beat him out. I think Anthony Harris, Anton Exum are guys that at least showed you a little bit. Yep. I think Anthony Harris more so. I think Anthony Harris impressed people in the building more so than any other well, that's safety. True. And he was good. Yes, and he was this good. This is just too. a wild thought yep. to keep uh, keep a guy that uh, Zimmer likes around for another year. And Robert Bland is a free agent as well. Yeah, that's great. What's that? Uh, what's that league? That X, that XF fall league deal? That's cold. That's that... cold. Josh Freeman played in that league, and he just played for the Colts in Week 17. What he do you mean that's cold? A touchdown pass. I'm trying to keep Blanton in the game of football. There's come on. There's leagues all over the place. There's rec leagues. We can get Blanton a job anywhere. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we're going to have for, for you on this episode of the Purple Podcast. Judd is going to send you off on that head of the you... Robert Blanton fan club. That... Zolgad. Judd Zolgad. <laughs> Beautiful note. All right, guys, please check back to us this week where we're going to have another Purple Podcast, I believe. If not, maybe in a week. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged or Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players. That is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point a finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.